0: Gold Digger, welcome to another episode of the Gold Digger Approved Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Lee Jones, and on today's episode we have an amazing woman by the name of Whitney L. Barkley. This woman already has a successful blog, a successful podcast, but now she is an author. She has recently released her first book, The Skinny Black Girl's Code to Freedom, how to build unbreakable confidence to master your life. Whitney, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Gold Digger Proof Podcast. Thank you so much, Tina. I am so excited to be here. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. So listen, girl, I just finished recently reading your book, okay? And, girl, your book was very real. It was very authentic. It was raw. It was just an open book about so many experiences, um, good and bad, that you have experienced your 26 years of life. Now, Whitney, what made you write such an open book about your life experiences, both good and bad?
1: Wow.
0: So essentially what made me write The Skinny
1: Black Girl? Guide to Freedom. It actually started several years ago. I was completing my master's program at Franklin University and I was doing research. I was doing research for, really, it's kind of funny, just one particular chapter of the book, and it was just about skinny black girls. So, my entire life, I've heard people tell me, oh, skinny black girls don't have problems, they don't have self esteem issues, and I wanted to disprove that myth. So, I was doing research uh, while I was a student, but then later on, I realized that the book was a lot more than just about body issues. So um, a lot of people come to me and they say, oh, Whitney, you know, you never seem like you've had any problems. You don't seem like someone who's been through certain things, and I have, and I really wanted to get to the root of why I had certain issues in my life. There's a quote um, by Maya Angelou that perfectly describes why I started this book, and it's there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. So I really wanted to allow people to come into my life and understand that, you know, yes, I had issues with body image, but those issues stem to much larger things that I think a lot of women face today. And, you know, I always joke with others, you know, I, I, I'm always a sacrificial lamb. And I know that a lot of women had a lot of stories that they have not told, and I feel like By allowing myself to be open and to be transparent, it can help another woman on her journey. So um, I just decided to just put it all out there because I believe that once you put it all out there, um, it ultimately can not only help heal other people, but it was a healing process for myself as well. I mean, just throughout the entire writing process. I, I learned so much more about myself. Um, I re-explored things that I hadn't thought about for years, but it was necessary, and it, it's essentially necessary just to make sure that I'm helping someone else get to whatever they can get through in order to find freedom.
0: And that is what you definitely accomplished in this book. I mean, you, this book is, you know, it was a tearjerker. It made me laugh, and you really helped me on some, a couple of issues. But just um, piggybacking on what you just said earlier about how, you know, about the body bashing and, you know, uh, particularly in Chapter 3, you know, which is titled My Size Does Not Define My Worth. And there's a particular uh, section in that chapter that says, I talk about skinny shaming. You know, know, people think that only people who are overweight, their body is shamed. But, no, there's a thing called skinny shaming. And you talked about some of the, you mentioned, you listed some of the comments that you used to hear. Can you talk about the skinny shaming? Oh, absolutely.
1: So, you know, I've been pretty much a, a skinny girl throughout my life. Um, I've heard so many different comments, but the ones that stuck out to me, obviously you need to put some meat on your bones. I feel like that's probably the most common one, especially among African-American families. Like I can even recall just being younger um, when I went home, my mom would literally always try to like stuff my face with food. She would always say, you know, here's a plate, here's some food you want to eat. And it's like, do I look hungry? (laughs) You know, I wasn't always hungry, but. You know, definitely someone saying that you need to put some meat on your bones was a big one. Um, A lot of people, when I express the fact that I want to go exercise, a lot of people will look at me up and down and say, exercise, what do you need to exercise for? And, you know, they think just because you're skinny, it automatically means that you're healthy or that you're vibrant. And I'm probably one of the most laziest persons in the world. Um, I literally can go up a flight of steps and huff and puff, and, you know, I'm a pretty small girl. So there's so many different misconceptions that people already have. They have these preconceived notions about skinny people, and they don't realize how sensitive they can make someone feel. Um, it, throughout my blog, when I first started the Skinny Black Girls Code, the SkinnyBlackGirlsCode.com, I had a mission. My mission was to interview 100 different women to kind of get their perspectives. So some of the perspectives that I shared in the book, for example, is "You're too small." I only think. thick, Thick girls or skinny girls can't cook or you're so skinny for a black girl you're shaped like a white girl these are all things that I've heard continuously throughout the different interviews that I've done with other skinny black women and you know and again a lot of people don't think that these comments are offensive but you know ultimately it can cause a lot of damage I mean even when I was younger you know I told people that when I was in middle school, I used to love watching B T, love watching VH1, you know, because they had those video vixens. And, you know, and I aspired to be like a Buffy the Body or a woman who had a lot of nice assets. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I used to hurt myself when I was younger. You know, I would try to overeat. I would joke and tell people that I was on a Jesus and cornbread diet because I truly tried to gain weight and I tried to do everything that I needed to do to be someone that I was not. So, again, um, You know, people, you know, we get on other people for shaming bigger girls, you know, and it's wrong either way. But um, at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who skinny shame a lot of women and they don't realize that they're actually hurting their feelings. Right.
0: And, you know, when I read this particular chapter in your book and I was reading some of the comments, like, I'm actually guilty of saying some of these comments, you know, like when I was younger. Like, Mm -hmm. I never was, like, the skinny. I never really was big. I was kind of, like, in the middle, you know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I used to always say, well, you need to put some meat on your bones. And what you going to exercise for? But I never knew how those comments can even shame and hurt a skinny girl. You know, you don't have to be overweight to to feel body shamed. And so, you know, you kind of put me in check, and I thank you for that because I didn't even realize what I was doing. But another thing about this chapter, go ahead, love.
1: Oh, no, no, no. And I was just going to say, you know, as you know, as you dug deep a little bit into the chapter, um, you know, in the beginning of the chapter, I kind of talked about the historical context of skinny shaming. You know, skinny shaming is not something that's new. It's just something that's been going on for a while. Um, you know, just in terms of skinny African-American women, you know, in the continent of Africa, there are some places in Africa where they have fertility periods where, you know, they literally intentionally try to fatten women up just to make sure that, you know, they can – ultimately bear a child um, during the slavery times in the United States, skinnier women were often passed over versus a thicker woman because a thicker woman mm-hmm. was someone who could bear a child and she could also work into the field. So, you know, these things, right. they're, they're rooted very deeply, and a lot of people just don't realize it um, because most people think that when you're skinny, you don't have issues, but, um, and, and maybe more so in, you um, in other cultures, you know, being skinny is kind of like the ideal thing, but in African-American culture, being skinny is is not something that um, some people are proud of, you know, because there is even an article. Um, Ebony Magazine did an article in the early 90s, but it's still pretty prevalent to this day. Um, it's called Bigger is Better, and they interviewed men, and one of the men commented that he had take a size 20 over a size 2, and the only thing a skinny girl can do for him is to lead him in the direction of a thicker woman. And you know, I've heard these things wow. Entire yes. <laughs> yes, I I've, I've heard these things throughout my entire life. Um and you know, as you get older and and, and it's and sometimes it's not even an age thing because there are some older people who definitely have a preference for what they want, but you know, as you get older, you realize it's not about how someone looks, but ultimately again, you know, people don't realize these issues and I was just hoping that this particular chapter could shed some light on it.
0: Right, exactly. Um, one thing, another thing about this chapter, and I don't mean to dwell on the chapter so much, but it was such an important chapter. But at the very end of the chapter, you, you tell the, the person who's reading the book
1: mm-hmm. to do
0: a three-day body image challenge. Now, mm-hmm. talk about this because, I mean, you really um, – give people, you know, the tools and the process to really look at their bodies and to learn Mm -hmm. how to love their flaws and all. So talk about that three-day body image challenge. Okay. So the three-day body image challenge is something that I created just for someone
1: to be kind of self-aware about how they feel about themselves, whether uh, people realize it or not when you're not confident about your body, it can uh, kind of bleed into other areas of your life. So let's say, for example, um, let's say you're a bigger woman and you're very self-conscious about your weight and because you're so self-conscious about your weight, you don't like to make presentations or talking in front of people and so you try to avoid it. So, you know, by doing all of that and avoiding it, you know, you could be missing out on a potential promotion or, you know, ultimately missing out on your potential. So with the three-day body image challenge, um, you first start with day one, which is naked. So the naked part of day one, you're literally looking at yourself in a mirror. So in preferably a full length mirror, so you can see every crevice of your body. And I want people to look at themselves without distractions. So as you look at your reflection, start to think about parts of your body. You know, what are the things that you're like, oh, girl, you know, I've got this, I'm so beautiful. What are those areas that you're like, oh, like, I wish I could change this, or oh, I wish I had something else. So, you know, once you do that, I tell women to create a sheet and note their likes and dislikes, you know, and how has that affected them over time. So, you know, that's really day one. And there are some questions that essentially aid that as well. Um, and I'll just kind of give you an example of a question. So compare the likes to dislikes, which section contains more tally marks and others and then why do the items make you feel uncomfortable or have you ever attempted to change or alter those attributes so it kind of gives you a really holistic perspective of looking at yourself and figuring out what bothers you because sometimes we subconsciously look at our bodies and don't like things but we've never actually acknowledged it within ourselves so the purpose of that activity is essentially just to allow you to reflect in your body and ultimately understand what is it that you like and don't like about yourself The second day is called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And this is something that I've done um, for several years now. I actually go to volunteer and I speak to youth and girls who are in their teens and preteens. And this is an activity that I think is really important. So you take sticky notes. You take four different kinds of Post-its and change them by colors. And you write down positive comments someone has said to you, negative comments someone has said to you, positive comments you said to someone else, and negative comments you said to someone else. And I tell people to put them on four different areas of the wall. Now, what usually ends up happening is that a lot of people have more negative comments that people have said to them than positive comments. And I think sometimes it's a subconscious thing where we focus on the negative rather than what positive things people have said about us. And then ultimately looking at things that they say about other women. I think that's most important because, you know, as women, um, you know, sometimes we have the tendency to be catty or sometimes we say things and we don't realize that we're actually being negative towards someone else. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a great way for people to look at, you know, how they view themselves, how they take in other people's perspectives, and ultimately what kind of things or what kind of words are they putting in the universe about other people. So, um, It's just a great evaluation of, you know, perceptions. And then finally, it's day three, which is beauty by your terms. So I want people to ultimately figure out how they define beauty, because beauty can be defined in so many different ways. Beauty can be, you know, a coat bottle shape with a long weave, or it can be, you know, someone with blonde hair, and it can be as skinny as a stick. It really just depends on what your perception of beauty is. So essentially what I have people do in this activity is to create a board, and they choose images to ultimately represent what they think is beauty. So it just kind of gives them a perspective of, you know, looking at what what is actual beauty and then does their own perception of themselves match the definition of beauty that they have within that particular board. So, again, this is just all about self-reflection and self-awareness because I just think it's so important for people to build confidence within themselves because if you don't have confidence within yourself, what you look like, you know, you could be, you know, someone who's on the rise,
0: but none of that stuff will matter because there's still some things that you need to fix within yourself. Exactly, exactly. And one thing I think that we learn from Beyonce, honey, is you have to learn how to love your flaws and all. Everybody has flaws. Nobody is perfect. Nobody yes. has a perfect shape. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And you just have to love your funny-looking nose, your, your mm-hmm. eyes, your hair, whatever, your flat yes. butt or your baseball bat legs. You have to love it all. Because trust yes. me, there's somebody out there that would love it just as much. But you have mm-hmm. to be confident. Like you said, confidence is so important. And the thing is you can't do anything in life without confidence. You have to be confident to know once you set a goal, you can achieve it. Just like whenever you wrote your book, you know, you have the confidence to finish it. So I think that's very important. And that um, that uh, three-day body image challenge was a really great thing I read. Now, one I thing that it. was really funny, one thing that was really, really funny in um, the book with me is <laughs> – Page 119, where well, you talked about how you felt like you were fresh meat in church. Now, girl, this is funny. Tell, <laughs> tell everybody about that experience. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so with that,
1: so I was in college. It was my junior year. So my boyfriend and I and one of my friends had decided to go to a church. So we went to a college in the middle of nowhere. For those of you who are not familiar, I went to a school called Wilberforce University, and it is in Wilberforce, Ohio. So literally the only civilization near the school was another school across the street and a speedway. So we often would have to go into town, which was Zenia, to go to a church. And so we attended this apostolic church. And um. Throughout the book, I talk about my relationship with God. So I've always believed in God since I was a young girl, but I grew up Jehovah's Witness. So if you know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they do things a little differently than your traditional church. And so when I got to college, church was like a brand-new concept for me because I had never really been in church before. So one day we went to church, and, you know, I finally had the courage to essentially start to praise, because I never used to praise out loud, you know, I pray in my head. I was never one of those people who was like, amen, hallelujah. You know, those things were never natural to me. So one day in church, it I connected so much with what the pastor was saying. It felt so real. And so, you know, I'm putting my hands in the air. You know, I'm saying things out loud. And, you know, I had been attending that church for several weeks, and I think people had taken note of it. So, you know, as I'm in my own zone, I'm praying, and I'm feeling so close because I'm feeling like I'm about about to have this epiphany with God, right? I'm getting so close, and people surround me, and I opened my eyes, and I was mortified. Everyone was around me. They started laying hands on me, and it just felt like
0: I was fresh meat. (laughs) Like, it felt like they just wanted me to Oh, my goodness.
1: I didn't know what to do, so I'm shaking. I'm not shaking because I'm connecting with God. I'm shaking because, like, I didn't really know what was going on. So I'm shaking in my boots. I'm starting to say something. I don't, I think I was speaking Spanish. I don't know what was going on. And, you know, everyone's laying hands on me, and I was just so embarrassed because I just wanted people to go away. Finally, everyone went away. And, um, you know, my husband or then my boyfriend, he came up to me. My friend, they're like, yes, you know, praise God, you know, you connected. And I'm like, uh, y'all, y'all that that wasn't the Holy Ghost. I was just really scared. So, you know, it, it was just different for me. But that day taught me a lot about not necessarily giving in to everyone else's expectation of how you should have a relationship with God. You know, I, I think that any kind of religion they kind of project on you what your relationship would look like but honestly i had to learn how to grow into a personal relationship with god myself now i've never actually caught the holy ghost you know that is something that i do admire um i do hope one day that i had that out of body experience but you know i feel like i'm so close to god I'm, i've been closer to him than i ever have been in years and you know i'm learning that that personal relationship is key and I can't rely on everyone else's expectations to guide what
0: that relationship should look like. Exactly, I, I totally agree. Well, that was just hilarious. When I read that uh, particular paragraph, I hollered out loud. It was hilarious <laughs> the way you described it, and the, and I love I love your writing style as well, Whitney. Whenever you Whenever you write, I was reading the book. It was like you were painting the picture, and you know it was so clear. As if I was in the moment
1: with well, thank you. you.
0: So, I mean, yeah, your writing style was amazing. And now I have a question on the promoting of your book. Like, I'm on your website now, which is skinnyblackgirlsco.com, everyone. And one, in the promotion of your book, it says, when did you stop knowing who you are? Let's mm-hmm. go a little deep, Whitney. Like, when did you stop knowing who you are, Whitney, and, and what episode – in your life that that you talked about in the book, or well, you stopped knowing who you were, wow, so
1: um, I guess that kind of goes into two parts the first thing I would say actually stems back to the third grade. I was a third grader and I remember prior to the third grade being one of the most confident kids you could have ever met in your life. Like no one could have told me anything. I, I saw no barriers. I didn't believe in barriers. And then one day I was walking home from school and I was bullied by a fifth grader. So he pushed me to the ground. He called me ugly and I was stunned because no one had ever said anything like that to me before. I mean like I, had old, I have older brothers and sisters but they never said things like that to me, Um, you know, I was never teased like that, so it really confused me. And, you know, we got into a fight one day because, you know, I told my mom, and she's like, well, if someone puts their hand on you, you hit them back, and, you know, that's all I needed. And we got into a fight um, probably the next day, and we went to the principal's office. And I remember her asking me about, you know, us fighting, but I never gave her a direct answer. And so the bullying stopped after the principal's office, but after that, I I never felt the same. Like, I noticed that, you know, I started to look at myself more. I started to question, you know, was I really cute? Was I ugly? You know, what was I? So I started to pay a lot more attention to my look. So I feel like that was part one of losing myself. The second part, um, I really felt like I stopped knowing who I was um, just after a series of events that have happened during my senior year of high school. So uh, when I was in high school, I was a part of a program here in Columbus called Seniors and Sophomores, and in the program it allowed me to skip my senior year to go to college for free. So everything was 100% paid, tuition free, books free, free everything. So, you know, I was young, getting it, you know, going through life, but I started talking to a guy, and, you know, we started to get serious, really sweet guy, and um, one day – we went to the movies, and I'll never forget, it was an October day, and it was the weekend that Jack and Mary Make a Porno had came out. It was a comedy back in 2008. And when we went to the movie theater, we watched the movie, and I noticed that he started to get really aggressive. And, you know, we were in the theater pretty much by ourselves. It was a Sunday. Um, it was kind of during the day, so, you know, a lot of people aren't there like during the matinee time. And when we went in there, um, he kind of forced me to do things in the movies that I didn't want to do. Um, I was you know, pretty flabbergasted afterwards. I didn't really know what to say. I just remember going home and calling one of my girlfriends in high school. And you know, I cried, and I, I didn't really know what to do. Now, the guy that I dated, um, he was an athlete at school. So he was pretty well known. Everyone knew him. And uh, it was a pretty big deal. And he also had a parent who uh, was also working at the school as well. So, you know, even though I wasn't at my high school on a day-to-day basis, when I would come to visit, I would get looks, you know, people would have questions, things things happened, and, you know, I was totally bummed out about it. But fortunately, um, I had someone who was in my corner. His name is Ray. Uh, we dated a little while in high school, and then we became friends, but I told him what happened. And he confronted the guy who had sexually assaulted me. And it really was one of the most um, – it was really one of the most relieving experiences because I didn't feel like I had to carry that with me for the rest of my life. You know, he mm-hmm. really allowed me to have a little bit of peace within myself. You know, he mm-hmm. reaffirmed my self-worth. But even after that, um, you know, it, having an experience of sexual assault, no one is cured. No one is healed immediately. You know, you still question yourself afterwards. So I still question myself a lot afterwards after that. You know, I still wonder why it had to happen to me. I still wonder, you know, um, essentially, you know, would I ever be worthy enough or, or good enough for anybody else? Like, you know, you, you feel dirty. You feel like, you know, you feel like you've been discarded and you, you feel like a piece of trash. And And I had to learn, unfortunately, that I can't allow someone's selfish decision to
0: define what my self-worth truly is. But it took a really long
1: time for me to get to that.
0: Well, thank God that you are at a great place right now. And thank you so much for sharing that deep part of the book and a part of your story inside the book. And what I need you to really um, talk about now with me is, like, during, whenever you, you were going through all of that, you know, there were, like, whispers and people pointing and stares because it was, like, a big deal. Like, a, a lot of people found out about it on the campus of your high school. So how did that make you feel? Like, um, I know it probably you had to feel, like, shame. And your parents never knew anything about this, right? Correct. No, my parents never knew anything. Um uh, I
1: think they know now. Um, since both of them have a copy of my book, I'm not sure if they've gotten to that chapter yet. <laughs> That's kind of later on in the book. But no, I, I I'll tell you, I was, um, I was truly someone who used to live a double life. Like I, I can really honestly say that about myself. Um, you know, on the outside, you know, I seemed like a really good girl. I was smart. You know, I listened to my teachers. I did so many things, but you know. Outside of that, you know, I did so many different things. I made so many mistakes. Even the date that I went on to where I was sexually assaulted, you know, that was a part of my secret life because I technically wasn't even allowed to date when I was in high school. So, right. you know, it, it's, definitely a, um, it's definitely a big reflection for me to kind of look back at all these things. My parents
0: didn't know anything. So there, right. there was and a lot of like- other oh, – I'm sorry. I'm sorry, look back at your growth, look how far you've mm-hmm. come, look how far you've come, and now it's in a book, and now you're impacting other lives, and, you know, you've had other people who have read your book and said, hey, you know, the similar thing happened to me, you know, I'm glad you spoke out about it, and exactly. I know that you, like, were on the Me Too campaign, which is going on on social media right now, Right. and, but what, can you talk to, like, a young girl or a teen girl or even a woman who may be in her 20s, 30s, 40s, who's never spoken out about sexual assault and how she needs to speak about it and speak up about it, and even when it first happens because, you know, you need that support system because it really affects your life because I remember being sexually assaulted myself and how it affected me. Can you, you know, tell, you know, like a young girl what she should, you know, do and who she should reach out to? Well, I feel like you have to free yourself because what happens, you know,
1: when you don't talk A lot of times we start to compartmentalize our emotions, which means that we lock it in a place, we don't re-explore it, and we try to go through life and act like it never happened. But these things did happen to us. They happen. They happen every day. And, you know, don't think that you're alone in this because, you know, unfortunately, sexual assault, rate, you know, you know, as we're seeing with the the Harvey Weinstein story and, you know, and even with our president, we see a lot of those things happening all the time. And the problem is we don't talk about them. Because we're silent about what happens to us, you know, they continue to happen. And I feel like if more women spoke out about their stories, you know, they told their personal experiences. You know, as we're seeing with the Me Too campaign, you know, sexual assault wouldn't be a, a, a taboo thing. You know, we would have a lot more um, regulation around it, you know, people will, will come down a lot harder on people who do these things, but because we don't talk about it, people don't think it's a big deal, or because we downplay it, like, oh, you know, I, I shouldn't have, I should have been wearing this, or I shouldn't have been there, you know, you can't blame yourself, and that, that's the first thing, really, I would want to tell a younger woman, you can't blame yourself on on someone else's decision to violate you. It's not your fault. No one ever asks to have someone else right. invade their personal space. So the first thing is don't blame yourself. And the second thing is, you know, you you definitely do want to speak out about it. You want to be able to speak out because, you know, if you don't get that closure now, you'll go through a majority of your life, and, you know, it will always be something that's in the back of your head. And it, it's always going to feel like a feeling. For me, This was always, like, a feeling, right? Like, it was always, like, you know, someone just, like, taps you and it's so annoying. It's something that keeps tapping you. It felt like something kept tapping me and, you know, Mm -hmm. I couldn't release it or I I chose not to release it. But, you know, once Mm -hmm. I put it out in the atmosphere, especially, like, now, like, I put it out in this book, like, I sleep so much better at night. Do you really? I do. I do. Because you have oh, to wow. understand that for years, I've said I've suffered from panic attacks from, for years. I've had them in my sleep. I, you know, I've had them driving. I've had them whatever. Obviously, I've had a lot, a lot of other factors of stress in my life. But a part of those panic attacks were for me compartmentalizing my emotions and not talking about the things that have happened to me.
0: So right. you know,
1: once, once you put it out there, once you acknowledge it, you know, you can't change the past, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I wish we all had a time machine where we could go back and do things differently, but we can't. And But once you acknowledge that, your past will no longer own you. And so my advice to younger women is don't allow that experience to own your life because you have so much ahead of you, and you don't want one experience to dictate, you know, the capacity and the potential that
0: you have for the rest of your life. Um, thank you so much for being just so open so open about this um issue and it's funny that you know we're talking about this and it's um domestic violence awareness month in october mm-hmm. so this is just a perfect you know subject to talk about as well sexual assault because you know every day every second almost a woman is sexually assaulted in this country but it it, it goes untold it, you know mm-hmm. a lot of times it's not being told so um is there any part of the book that almost didn't make it with me Yes, the part of the book that almost didn't make
1: it, um, I believe it's in chapter I wanna say maybe chapter five ish. Yeah, I think it's chapter five. The part that didn't make it was me talking about my experience with sexually transmitted diseases. And it almost didn't make it because I'm like, oh snap, like who talked about that. No one ever talked about, you know, catching a sexually transmitted disease. But I thought it was really important because for me, just to give a little bit of backstory about it, you know, when I was younger, my parents divorced uh, when I was 12. They separated when I was 8, but they officially divorced when I was 12. So when I was young, you know, like, my dad, I, even though I saw my dad every single weekend, it was different not having him in the house. So, you know, I would always be looking for attention in the wrong places. And, you know, obviously... You know, I got to a point where I'm like, okay, you know, I want to start having sex. so I want to start to experiment and do things. So when I was 14, I had sex. I lost my virginity. And I lost my virginity to someone who uh, carried sexually transmitted diseases. So I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, I felt my body change. I started, you know, Google became my doctor. I started to look up possible symptoms and look up things. And, you know, and finally one day I figured out, like, hey, you know, I need to get help. And, again, remember, I never told my parents anything that I did. So um, I called a Planned Parenthood. I talked to them um, to see how confidentiality worked and, you know, how was I able to pay. And I took a bus. I skipped school one day. I took a bus. And I was treated for um sexually transmitted diseases, and it was really important for me to talk about this in the book because, you know, again, there's certain things that people just don't talk about in life, but I feel like that that is a part of life, and, you know, if there's any younger women who read my book, I want them to be more conscious, like, you know, I don't care how much you want to feel, feel love. I don't care how much, you know, a guy tells you, like, oh, you're fine, you know, we don't have to use protection, like, you should. You should because I could have been off way worse. You know, thank God everything that happened to me ha- had the cure. <laughs> but, you know, I could have been walking around with HIV or, you know, or mm-hmm. any kind of sexually transmitted mm-hmm. disease. But, you know, you're, when you're young, you're not in that mind frame. You know, you, you want to live in that moment. But you have to realize that those moments carry very serious consequences if you're not careful about what you do. So that part almost I'm right. like dang, that's pretty intimate, but at the same time, Again, I, I'll be that sacrificial lamb, you know. If
0: it's going to help somebody else, then I'm all right. People can crucify me all they want. I'm all right with that. Right. And, but what's important is a story that needs to be told because, mm-hmm. like you said, uh, um, so many people go through this and they don't talk about it. But when you hear someone else's story who went through that and they still turned out to be okay, then it's like, oh, okay, well, they went through it too, then I can be okay as well. And one mm-hmm. thing I definitely want to point out, Whitney, is that you graduated from high school. You're valid you were valedictorian mm-hmm. at your high school. Yes, I and was. And so people think that you know the valedictorian uh, is always like this, this, you know, nice girl or nice guy. They're, they don't have any issues. But no, like you went through sexual assault. You contracted a um, sexually transmitted diseases. But you still graduated validatory in your class. Like,
1: mm-hmm. I did. I that,
0: mean, that people, go ahead. No, 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 I was going to say, you know, even leading up to graduation.
1: So, you know, mind you, I'm in this program where I'm in college. So it was important for me to graduate because I had dual credit, because I went bulk it credit for college, and I will also graduate from high school. So I had to do well at school. But um, I didn't mention this earlier, but, you know, all this had happened to me um, with the sexual assault. This was October. So, you know, fast forward to um, the, the later part of my senior year slash first year in college, you know, I, you know, met someone else. Um, this time I thought it was something else totally different. The guy was, you know, someone that it was almost really toxic how we were attracted to each other. We met when we went to a club because as soon as I turned 18, I just went wild. I'm like, oh, I'm going out every weekend. That was my goal, and that literally was my goal for the entire year. I fulfilled it. But one of those times I met a guy, um, we met at a club, we started to talk, and, you know, eventually I ended up getting pregnant. So I ended up getting pregnant maybe um, a few months before I was set to graduate. And it was a very um, crazy experience for me because no one ever thought that, or at least I never thought that I would get pregnant. And I I really didn't know what to do. So the guy was with. You know, he was a little older. He was already in college. You know, he one day he's like, yes, we should do it. The next day, no, we shouldn't have a baby. And at the same time, I'm still, you know, getting my college acceptance letters, trying to figure out where, where I'm going to go and what the next part of my life was going to look like. And it was, it was very confusing to me. And so I had to make the decision to get an abortion. And, um, you know, a lot of my friends always ask me, like, wait, like, why didn't you come to prom senior year? And it's like because I spent my prom money year on an abortion. I couldn't come to prom. I had to figure stuff out. I had to figure wow. out what would be the next step for me. And so, um, you know, I did it. You know, my parents weren't too happy about it. His parents weren't too happy about it, obviously. But um, one thing that did stick out, this, this was with his parent, his dad. He, the guy that I was with had things with his dad. And when we came to him together, he told me that, I was gonna need therapy, I was gonna need help and you know, and everything else. And you know, of course, you know, most of the time people are like, Man, you don't know what you're talking about, I don't need help, I don't need any therapy, I got this, I can get through it. But you have to realize that I had had a, a
0: sexual assault experience and an abortion within six months of each other. He was right. That's a lot. That's a lot on a teenager. That's a lot on a teen woman. That that that's a lot. That is a lot. But it I mean, is. So, but, I mean, but the thing is that you still had enough strength to muster up and just keep your grades up to graduate first in your class in high school. So I commend you for that. I did. I commend
1: you for that. It it
0: came with a price
1: because when I was done, I I didn't didn't know what to feel anymore, you know, because, you know, my whole entire life it's like 4.0, 4.0, got to make the best grades. But, you know, after everything, it's like, you know, what was the 4.0 to a life? You know, like, you know, a lot of people feel mm-hmm. different emotions after having an abortion. I've met some women where it's just like, you know, another day. Like, I've had family members who have had multiple abortions, and it doesn't affect them at all. But for me, it, it did something to me. It changed me. Um, and I don't say that it changed me for the bad, but it made me a lot more self-aware about who I was and the type of actions that I was doing in my life. You know, there's one thing about having your environment you know, dictate how you feel with stuff, but you have to look at those self-inflicting things that you do. You know, what are the the things that you're engaging in that could potentially hurt you? So it made right. me think a lot more about my decisions, and I became a lot wiser about my decisions moving forward. But... Um, Again, you know, with the guy, his parent, giving me that advice. The one thing I will say now, um, I've never been to therapy. You know, I do want to put that out there as a disclaimer. I've never been to therapy. A lot of these things and realizations I've come to on my own. But, you know. But
0: you know what, Whitney, you writing this book is therapy. That This is therapeutic for you. I remember you telling me that. And it so but congratulations on um, the success of your book and, and it being therapy for you. And congratulations on this book being Therapy for Other Women because I know you've been getting amazing feedback on that. Yes. Oh, and we, yes. And, and so in, in 2018 is right around the corner. So what is next for Whitney Barkley? So what is next for Whitney Barkley? Um, So there's a lot of other things. So um, I
1: won't spread too many details, but, you know, through my book, I talk about different experiences I've had, you know, not just personal but business experiences as well. Um, 2018, I am launching my business called Figurizing, which is a real-time social media and graphic design firm to help people get on and off the stage. Essentially, I'm very excited about this business because I've been operating in some of my gifts for a little while, and this is the official start of the business, so I'm super excited about that. In 2018, I'm also planning to expand the Skinny Black Girls Code. Um, Thus far, it's really just been a blog, but now that I have, you know, a few contributors on board, you know, I'm ultimately looking to create things that would help women in their journey to freedom. This book was probably the first thing, but I also plan to come out with a freedom journal as well. So that way, if you're going through any of the things that I've talked about today, um, it could hopefully allow you to find the freedom that you were seeking. But um, 2018, I just, I just feel like the sky is the limit, you know. I'm and, really just open for opportunities, but ultimately I'm just hoping to both expand my blog and to grow my business.
0: Right, and what would be your own personal gold digger tip you want to leave with our audience?
1: My ultimate tip for you guys, I would definitely say that confidence is half of the journey to anything that you want to do in life. When you believe in yourself, when you believe in your ideas, you take yourself on a totally different level. I truly believe that, you know, while you may want to build a brand, you may want to build a business, you may have these big dreams, you know, you can never truly get to those big dreams. Unless you deal with the things that have bothered you internally, or things that have, you know, kind of cast a shadow over your life, so I definitely would say to take the time to look within and to be self-aware, and to get, you know, you're not always going to be 100. You know, I'm not going to say that everyone's going to be 100 percent perfect, but you know, when you get to a level of self-awareness, you become unbreakable, and so that that's the kind of confidence that I want you to build, you know, before you try to build anything else. Everything starts and with you.
0: Right, and pick up her book. Her book is The Skinny Black Girl's Guide to Freedom, How to Build Unbreakable, Unbreakable Confidence to Master Your Life. This book is for any woman at any age, from 6, you don't have to be a size 6, you don't have to be a size 16, you don't have to be a size 2 or 20. doesn't matter what size you are, this book definitely helps you with your life. It's a definitely it's an amazing self-help book, a book of triumph and, and overcoming. And, Whitney, once again, congratulations on the success and the sales of your book. I, I read it from uh, beginning to end, cover to cover, and I loved every word. And thank you so much for coming on to the Gold Digger Approved Podcast. Thank and you. And make sure you let everyone know where they can find you on social media and your website. Yes,
1: please feel free to look me up at com. Or WhitneyL.Barkley.com. You can also follow the Skinny Black Girls Code at SBG Code on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also find us on Facebook at the Skinny Black Girls Code.
0: Yes, Skinny Black Girl. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a skinny black girl, or a thick black girl, we want you to be a gold digger. So go out there and be gold digger approved. Thank you so much, Whitney, and we will talk to you soon, honey.
1: Yes, thank you.